Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar. And today we have with us Christian Boy. He is the co-founder and managing director of Behavioral Science Lab. Good morning, Christian. Yeah, good morning. How are you today? Excellent. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're very interested in what you guys are up to over at Behavioral Science Lab. So just start us off with an overview of who you are and what you guys do. Yeah. Shingo, I'm the co-founder and managing director of the Behavioral Science Lab, who has been in existence for the last three years. the reason why we exist uh, was not to create another behavioral science lab. Actually, we came out of multiple fields, uh, organizational development, marketing, advertising, design, tech. Uh, and the reason why we designed the behavioral science lab was a lack of unbiased research. Um, and as we developed a new research methodology that allows us to eliminate those biases, whether it was in focus groups or ethnographies or shop-alongs or even big data that only gets correlational existence of what people do, not why people do. We developed a tool that we carry within our tool set to understand why people do the things that they do. Um, And as we developed it, we we came across our findings that we had an understanding of the basis of behavioral economics that teaches us that humans on any given basis use multiple factors to define uh, why they shop for something or buy something over another or why they pay more for a product and they would actually pay for it. Um, and that allows us to 
create multiple new options or opportunities or design that uh, are more relevant for the consumer. And that really depends on who our clients are. So that's that's what we do. Uh, happy to go in more detail of what that really, how it really evolves and what the potentials are for any of the people we work with. Absolutely. Um, yeah, let's start off with, you know, how, how it kind of works, how you do your research and, you know, what companies would benefit most from it. Yeah. Um, so as you know, a lot of people do a lot of things, ideation, uh, design sprint, and they all, all fit a certain purpose. Um, but when it comes to create actionable and predictable results, um, we have to actually take into consideration that consumers are multifaceted, right? They're, they're not monolithic. There's some irrational behavior that we exude. I mean, why would somebody buy a house in Austin, Texas, where the summers are 100 and 110 with a fireplace or multiple fireplaces? Absolutely <laughs> irrational for the outside world. So why does it happen? And with, with that in mind, we develop something that allows us to see how humans use psychological and economic effectors in their own way to determine why they shop certain, for certain things or why they believe in certain things and why certain things fulfill their expectation and why others. Uh, by doing that, we were able to create a measurement of utility. For the longest time, only economists were able to measure utility value of a product, right? And they used only the economical factors like the price, the distance, the weight. Um, but now we're able to also measure psychological factors of how, how much impact does a psychological factor have on a purchase. Like, how do I feel about myself wearing this specific jacket? Or how do other people see me driving this very expensive car? These are all factors that need to be in, taken into consideration when people actually shop for certain things. So we're able to measure this and we're able to see on, on an individual basis or on a, a larger universe basis to see how the market operates, how people actually think about a product and what things really motivates them to do certain things or why they behave the way they do. And what it does for, for our clients is uh, we're able to extract multiple factors or elements that really drive behavior and we're able to help our clients to understand if you make changes in this design, people actually would start loving your product. Or if you manipulate a little bit your functionality on the side, you actually will see an increase in, in functionality or user behavior because people are always kind of falling off because X, Y, and Z. Or the product you have designed, although very exciting and intriguing, it will not be adopted because people are very satisfied with what they currently have. So if you don't do X, Y, and Z to your product, people actually will not shop for it. So we're bringing a whole new dimension to the market that goes beyond the data conversation because data are only limited and it doesn't allow uh, the psychological behavior, the individual intricacies of why we are human not to see them completely. And that's where we come in. We, we give the, the behavior a whole or an additional dimension that really gets to the why people actually do things they do on a multiple faceted basis. Absolutely. And you're explaining it in a very calm and scientific way, but I'm thinking, how in the world are you predicting, you know, the <laughs> the people who, the people's random choice, to me, random randomized choices of, you know, why you buy a luxury car versus a regular car or, you know, why are you giving to a charity? I see on here you have a thing about giving to charities. Yeah. You know, how do you, what kind of work goes into cracking the human code? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Oh, I should use this actually. The second human code. Um, in our previous life, um, as we developed the behavioral science lab, we sat down and had to say, okay, there's a lot of research methodologies that work and some of them don't work so much. So why don't we take the best of the best that really works 
and scrape away that doesn't work. And why don't we create a new methodology that really allows us to extract what's really going on in people's mind, what they really mm -hmm. think and feel, and then take that information and let them individually use that information and show us how they use it on any given basis. So we, we build a qualitative and quantitative research approach, which is now actually validated by a third-party source of being valid, actionable, and predictable. But what we do is we walk people through a set of exercise that in, in, in a normal phase looks kind of like a, it looks maybe like a focus group, but it's not. Uh, we put people into a certain sphere of relaxation. We allow them to visualize something. And then we extract uh, through a specific protocol what's really going on in people's mind. The problem is when you ask people direct questions, uh, people are unable to answer. Like if I would ask you, Julie, why did you buy this sweater or this car? You, you might well give me a justification, like, oh, you know, it has four seats, it has a big trunk, and it's really wonderful, it drives really fast. But you might just give me a justification of how you feel about it that, that satisfies your specific needs. But in reality, you're like, well, it's, it's okay, I wouldn't buy it again, or I don't really love it. But here's my justification of why I should love it, because it does all these things. So in order to eliminate this, in order to eliminate these other biases that exist in the research world, we try to create kind of a clean room to really allow people to show us how they see the world, how they describe that world, and how they use that information on an individual basis to tell us, here's the factors that I'm using, here's how I describe these factors, and now here's how I'm using them. So we developed uh, an algorithm that allows us to see after they give us all the information how they're used. And not to get not to geek out on your show, but we use the principles of phenomenology, hermeneutics, decision theory, and system theory all combined. And by combining these, we're able to extract what's really going on, how it's used, how it's defined. And in the end, we get a clear understanding how individual people make decisions. But then on the larger scale, we can use this in a larger quantitative study to see, okay, how are this universe that we're trying to interpret actually makes that information that we can then create, maybe lookalikes if it's necessary or just inform our client, hey, here's what the world looks like, and here's what's really happening. Here's why moms uh, take their kid to one school or another. That's why people buy a certain financial credit card, whatever that might be. Does that, does wow, it that's get deeper into the shake how we do it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very fascinating. It's, it's a different way, right? It's, it's trying to use all the things that really work and, and trying to reduce all the stuff that doesn't really work to, to get to the intricacies. Because people... Like you and I, if you really think about it, we, we will have a hard time to really extract what's going on. You know, why do I fall in love with someone? And as we know, without this, let's just remove the chemical things. Let's remove the DNAs that actually kind of yield to it as well. But in reality, we use multiple factors to determine why do I fall in love with one or the other. I don't know, it might be like the smarts, the looks, the, the friends they have, the family they have, uh, how they treat me. And, but how do these things are combined? I'm not quite sure. I just know how, how it is. So I need someone to help me extract these in a way that it's not intrusive or infuriating and in a way that I don't have to present myself in a certain way. So we try to create something that allows people to remove these barriers and get through kind of a back door that just explains to us of what's happening. And then we allow them to put these pieces back together like a puzzle piece. Um, and when we're done with it, people actually stay after the sessions and want to talk about the decision process because that's the first time how they actually see them and they're really able to tell us here's what works for me and here's why it didn't work and here's why i hated that car and here's why i love my bank or whatever it might be well exactly and i think as humans we are 
we are infinitely interested in our own psychology because, like you mentioned, sometimes we don't even understand why we're, why we're making decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really difficult. So if you if you don't know, then asking questions is not the right way, right? So you have to find a different approach to get to these little things. And what we have found is when we walk people through these step-by-step process, what people only can recall is these little memories, these little emotions, these little feelings, these little anecdotes that they have compartmentalized in their brain. And we're just trying to open these little boxes and then put a label on these boxes and see, okay, well, what do you call these boxes that you put in that you hate or that you hate how people treat you? What do you call this? Oh, you know, I call this, you know, stuff satisfaction. Like, oh, good, good, okay. So we, we just try to unravel what's going on and, and open these little pockets and see how these little pockets are actually functioning in people. Because the brain is super complex. And I, I don't know if you might have read this uh, a couple of months ago, the article wrote, that the brain is 100 times more complex than we thought. And that must tell us something, that just simply taking something for face value, it's, it's easy, right? It, it, it's simple. If I see what people are doing, it allows me to say, oh, here's what he did. Well, then probably this is the reason why he did it. But it's, it's a little bit more complex. And we have to give the complexity some truth to it, because otherwise we're just going in circles and doing the same thing over and over again. It doesn't really change anything. We don't build better products, better designs, more functionality, more usefulness for the for the end user, right? And whether it's a product or services or whether it's a design change, but ultimately changing the world for the better. If we don't approach the world in a different way to really get to more truth, you know, we're just going in circles and nothing really changes. I hope yeah, it wasn't too philosophical. No, no, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I was just thinking, you know, humans do that to each other all the time. You know, someone sends you a text message and you interpret it one way, but they meant it in an entirely different way. Or maybe they, they meant it in a certain way and you missed the point because we're so complex and, and just a simple communication can get all frazzled because of our, our inability to understand all the intricacies that are going into that person's decision to put those words down, much less where they spend their money or their time. And no, it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very, very intriguing. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, not at all. Um, I was going to say, what have you found? Are people, the logic versus emotion when it comes to buying, what have you kind of found with that? Are people mostly emotional buyers? You know, they make things because they just feel it, or do they think through through it logically and then stifle their emotions? Um, very good question. We, we get this quite a bit, and there's some really good books written about this, like Kuhneman, I don't know if you've heard, um, Thinking Fast and Slow, has a premise that people are two type of thinking, thinking fast, thinking slow, type one, type two. Type one is more emotional, uh, more fast thinking, uh, where the type two is more rational. We do believe that we do both, whether we're aware of it or not. What we have found is that in all our studies, we'll back up a little bit here, that we use on any given basis seven plus two or three factors because every set of environments, products, service people are surrounded by these seven factors that we use to make a decision, right? What we have found is since our world is so complex, since our world is constantly moving, constantly engaging with us, bombarding us with information, our brain has designed to try to find a way to cut through the clutter. And, and, and the way we cut through the clutter, we have dominant drivers that allows us to cut through the information fast to determine whether this is something I want or what you're offering me is not that I'm interested in right now. So what we have found is everything we, when we make these studies, we found that the primary decision driver, this primary element that's really important to us, right, that, that, that drives our information, 
is sometimes psychological, sometimes economical, right? But what we do is we use that to determine whether this offer, this thing has what I want. And if it does what I want, if it has what I want, if it satisfies my expectation, then I go downstream and in, in, in using all the other factors to make this more rational decision process and evaluating whether these factors are satisfied in my mind. A simple example is, you know, a coffee shop, you know, everybody goes to a coffee shop or a tea shop. And, you know, we use the factors like, oh, which may be the distance from my house, uh, the taste of the coffee, the price, maybe the ambiance, how the barista is treating me, how I feel inside, how other people might see me. But let's assume they open up another coffee shop next door, right? And you're like, oh, now I have to make a decision. And what about this coffee stores will satisfy my, maybe my primary driver? And if it's like price, oh, they're cheaper then oh, I will definitely consider them. But if they don't tell me that it's price, then maybe not even engage into the conversation because it will take too much work in my mind. So overall, and there's a long story to your question, people, humans are complex, right? And it's sometimes an economical decision, sometimes a psychological decision, which is more both, right? Maybe undescribed. But what we have found, we are both, whether we're aware of it or not. And if you, I will give you a little exercise for maybe all your listeners, is the thing that we always buy in the grocery store or the phone that we replace, we do this because we know it will fulfill our expectation and all the factors that we need. But next time you go shopping, there's one product that you always buy, let's say toothpaste, and you remove this from the shelf, right? You just remove it, whether it's in your mind, whether it's there or not, just remove it and then think about which of these products you would choose in the absence of this one thing. And what will happen is you actually will stand there for a moment and say, okay, which one of these things actually will whiten my teeth? Okay, there's three. And which of these three will you know, last long and has a good taste and, you know, has the right price. And you will see that you actually go through this process in the absence of what you actually want. If you know what you want, you go clicky to it because you know it will satisfy these things. And we do this from a small purchase to a large purchase. The large purchase is a little bit longer because you will invest more money, right? So there's a little higher risk. But yeah, we do actually both. But that's, um, you know, literature talks about the emotional quick decision. But it's which of these factors will satisfy it or not, and then I go into an engagement. And then you have, and then you have. No, that was that was wonderful, and I was I was right there with you, visualizing myself at the store, and then thinking a lot of times when the product that I usually buy is not there, how I do go through this in my mind. And then a lot of times when you do buy a new thing, you immediately doubt yourself because you are worried about the expectation not being fulfilled. You know, if you have this bread, and all of a sudden you buy a different bread, you go home and you're like, oh. Am I even going to like this bread? You know, this was a mistake. I should have bought the other bread. And now it's this whole <laughs> whole whirlwind right. of of things coming into your brain because you just, you are off balance because you're not sure what the fulfillment of your expectation will be. Wow. You're correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, a lot of marketers talk about like, oh, we need to develop more content and need to, you know, find the path to purchase. You know, it's super complex, right? Path to purchase, all these terminologies out there. But what we do as humans, and we all do it. Like if we look for something, we go on Google. We go on Google to find the one thing that satisfied our need, right? And if we have found it, then we start to search about all these other information. You know, we go on websites and on blogs and to see if it can satisfy all the other factors that I have in mind that needs to be satisfied, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. we do this. Um, and the products we love, they do actually one thing. They fulfill our expectation over and over again on the things that I expect them to do. Unless something better yes. comes out that we feel could fulfill it even better, right? And so we're that's trying how we think to about also it. save time. <laughs> save time because if it fulfills oh, yes. your expectations in a little amount of time, it, it feels uh, safe and easy. Yes, that's right. 
safe and easy. And if it if it tells me that it's doing it, I'm in heaven because I'm like, yes, yes, perfect, done, give it to me. <laughs> oh, it seems so easy, but yet so so difficult. Um, so, so difficult. The services, yes. So difficult. <laughs> the services that you that you offer, you know, you help design the products and services that have a purpose. You help yeah. forecast irrational behavior, mm-hmm. and then you also build decision models with how humans work. And you implement all of these with all of your clients, correct? We try to, yeah. It, it really depends on what the needs are. Right? Sometimes we just want to know, is this adaptable? What what do we need to design? What does the market look like? Are we viable? Do we need to shift positioning to strategies? How do we need to approach certain things? Are we missing the mark? Um, so the the questions that we get are vast, vast and wide. Uh, and the good thing is since we as researchers within the lab are absolutely agnostic to what we're trying to study because the consumer is giving us all the So we don't go in with a hypothesis. We don't go in with a questionnaire. We actually just extract and see how the market operates to the specific item that we want to study, the specific phenomena that is relevant to us. So it really depends on what specificity our client wants to get after. But the implications are endless, right? You can design a better function on your product or you can build a better marketing strategy, implementation strategy, or you can just shift totally different population that you think like, oh my God, there's a whole different market out there that we haven't thought about, but it really love our product, we be, but we kind of ignored it because we thought from our previous studies that they're not even interested in it, but they might be. And they have nothing to do with certain demographics or psychographics, but they have a certain need, they have a certain usefulness for this thing that we actually and they would be really perfect and actually paying pay more for it. So those things, that's what we do. And then after we are done with the studies, we work with multiple entities to give the client, like, hey, here's a design shop who's really well doing. And by the way, here's a marketing entity who's really good at implementing things. And by the way, here's an IT company who can help you with your content strategy, content mapping on an app, able to deploy multiple conversations because there's multiple universes that you need to communicate to, to to attract the entire market with multiple messages that are relevant. So the application are, are multifaceted. It really depends on what the client wants and how far they want to stretch a little bit their, their current positioning or their current space and how are they willing to change. Because what we're doing is really about change, not just to conform certain things, but also about changing things. And change is always difficult. So Absolutely. And you can do this with what is your what is your accuracy for for this predictive? Oh, good. I love behavior. That so our yeah. So our accuracy when we do this study on a one-on-one basis. If I have you in front of me and I know how you make decisions, it's ninety-nine percent. If I do this for the universe that we are studying, it's an eighty percent accuracy on average. So for some studies wow. it's a bit lower, for some studies it's a bit higher. And then of course, if you try to find lookalikes in the market, that accuracy goes slightly down, but not much because we know what the socioeconomic factors are that drive that behavior. And if you find these socioeconomic factors, you're very close to the truth of why they do things. So, yeah, it's very, the accuracy rate is extremely high, but it's due to the fact that we don't use outside information, but the the levels or the level that the individual person is using to making that. And when we build these models or the have these studies done and we build these models, uh, decision models, uh, human decision models. We use the information from each individual person that we studied. So we don't just sum them over, but we use it in our calculation. And we can see the distance between these elements and the weight of the element. We see what really is relevant. And if the client doesn't want to talk about 
segmentation or a new typing tool, then we can just give them the factors that are really relevant that drive the market or not the market and where they need to take or touch base with to make changes. Uh, very good question. Thank you for asking that. Of course, of course. Uh, well, it's, it's quite impressive, <laughs> the answer. Well, yeah, and it, so, the funny, you know, people will say like, well, how have you proven it? And we have been proven through an outside source, the marketing accountability standard board. Some of them, people have heard about, some of them probably not. But what they do is they try to find mechanisms, uh, research techniques or tools that can predict financial results because that's what we're all after, right? Every marketer wants to drive market share or sales volume. And they use all the mechanisms from marketing, advertising, promotion, um, finding the right people to drive that number. And there's only a handful that actually can give you predictive results of what drives market share. And what they have found, if you go through their website, there's multiple studies done that the, the direct link to market share is actually preference. And this has been confirmed for numerous years. This is nothing new. But what we have found that our tool, it's called Brand Embrace, allows us to define what really drives preference. What are the psychological and economical factors that we use to define preference for ourselves? Why do I prefer this product? And it has little or nothing to do with how much often I see it on TV or how loud my friend is yelling about it. But it's like, what do I use that is really relevant to me that I say, yes, I love this product because it does these, these things. So, and we have done this over and over again, predicting with high accuracy the results of what really drives that market share result and how people will need to implement to drive sales volume. So that's why we get this number one high accuracy rate, but also uh, accountability to these numbers, even so they are very ex- extremely high. Oh, that's it's so, it's so excellent. So how can companies uh, get involved with you? How can they hire you to help with their marketing? Yeah, um, not only marketing. If they have a product development in place or they're building a new AI and they don't know what the patterns are for the AI or what they need to be, um, they can go to our website, uh, behavioralsciencelet.com, uh, to contact. And they can send us either a quick note with their needs or they can call the number and they will reach one of our team members to uh, assist them with anything they might need. And then we get into an engagement call, talk about their specific needs, uh, really go deep in what is really needed and whether we are the right people because uh, we don't do everything. And it's just the truth that we can do some very specific things and be really good at it, but there's certain things that we don't do. Uh, We just want to make sure that we're at the right place uh, for their specific. And then we go from there. Um, And the engagement uh, really depends on how long they want to engage with us, whether it's just the research they want to do or whether they want to engage further in consultancies, how to implement and then implementation phase to Another testing whether that really works, whether the changes are really will be adopted and will yield what the client is looking for. And then we change again and help them to evolve. So it could be just a one-off relationship, but also a long-lasting relationship where we really walk the client um, or walk with them side by side through the entire process of really seeing through not only here's the information, but also here's what you can. Absolutely. Well, Christian, this has been such an eye-opening chat we've had. I love it. And now I'm going to rethink all of my purchases. <laughs> yes, please do. Do. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on and really explain this in depth to us. Yeah, no, it was, first of all, thank you for having me. It was my greatest pleasure. And if anyone wants to learn more, uh, you can write me a direct email at christian at behavioralsciencelab.com. So, but thank you so much for having me. And uh, maybe we have, have another chat at another time. Absolutely. That has been Christian Goy, the co-founder and managing director at Behavioral Science Lab. 
And this is Juliette Lamar with your Future Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.